people need to do research on. And we have a data platform called Newly that we own. That's our first startup that we built. The genesis of Nucleus is to support the adoption, the future adoption of psychedelic medicine. We need the ability to think through long-term how we're going to push these medicines through clinical trials and then do all the research that comes with that. My next guest on today's podcast is Logan Lenz. Logan is a founder, entrepreneur, serial investor, advisor, and contributor in a variety of platforms. His current company, Nucleus, is focused on mental health and how psychedelic medicines is enabling and helping individuals to get better and improve their emotional and overall well-being. He has some amazing perspectives about entrepreneurship and how to run a company and more importantly, when and why and how and when you should not open a venture studio. So without much further ado, let me get on with it. Hi, Logan. Welcome to Masters Decoded Season 3. Really glad to have you on the show today. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Logan, when my team and we were discussing about you, you know, something which really caught my attention and I said, you know, I need to talk to Logan. And uh, candidly, I'm doing this podcast as a selfish interest because I want to learn more in the variety of spaces which I have interest in and something which I have been manifesting for, I would say, two to three years now is around ayahuasca, uh, mm. which is one of the psychedelic medicines. Uh, sure. I would use the plant-based medicines. And I got introduced through one of the podcasts, which I listened often, is Tim Ferriss' podcast. He talks a lot about ayahuasca in his uh, podcast, gets different guests. And I've been dabbling into it. I've manifested that one day I will be probably trying to get to ayahuasca or ayahuasca comes to me. Uh, but I mm -hmm. was fortunate enough uh, in February to experience one of the plant medicines, uh, magic mushrooms, as they call it, uh, okay. in India. Uh, and it is scarcity to get magic mushrooms and other plant medicines in India, especially sure. ayahuasca. Uh, but no, uh, you know, and that's why I'm here today <laughs> to learn more about it because you have a company sure. around it. Uh, so yeah. you wanna, can you share a little bit? What got you the genesis of Nucleus and what is Nucleus all about? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm glad you started with that because what I could say we're not about is necessarily like selling any drugs or doing anything illegal of the sort. Mm -hmm. In fact, the genesis of Nucleus is to support the adoption, the future adoption of psychedelic medicine. And we do that really in three ways. Um, we do that with data. We do that by building audience and breaking stigma with content. And we do that by connecting people with each other and forming networks and communities. So what Nucleus is at its core is a venture studio. And if you're not familiar with that term, that's no. basically like a group of people, you know, me at the, the core as the CEO that puts together ideas and then spins up startups really quickly. And then those startups become their own businesses and we're able to move quickly to see, does that work? Does it not? And that, you know, kind of acceleration and the ability to turn things off and on is what gives us a competitive advantage. It's interesting to do that in the psychedelic space, mostly because it's still so new. It's still unproven to a lot of people. Uh, but like I said, we're focusing right now on data, stuff that we know is evidence-backed that people need to do research on. And we have a data platform called Newly that we own. That's our first startup that we built. And then we have something called Psychedelic Invest, which is a content play 
where we're taking a lot of that data, writing articles, doing reports, and then bringing investors into the space because that's what the industry needs. We need capital. We need the ability to think through long-term how we're going to push these medicines through clinical trials and then do all the research that comes with that. Uh, and then our third biggest startup so far is a marketing arm called SciRise. We built a marketing platform. And in the U.S. here, ketamine has taken off as an off-label legal substance that's technically called a psychedelic, mm-hmm. even though it's an anesthetic. Um, and there's about 500 clinics that have popped up around the country. And we support those clinics by bringing patients uh, to them by doing marketing and offering a platform that allows for that growth. So we have a lot going on, but like I said, we're constantly innovating through this venture studio model and it gives us uh, a lot of uh, joy and pleasure to meet new founders that might be innovating in the space. And we want to be, you know, kind of a catalyst for this future industry because we know it's so promising. And like you, many people are experiencing the, the, benefits, right? And there's nothing really like that if you think through this being an inevitability, right? This is going Mm -hmm. to happen and we want to build the ancillary services and the infrastructure to support it. Yeah, building on what you've, and there are many things which I want to ask you a question. The first one, why a platform, a studio to set this up? You know, you could have dabbled in one company and, you know, build a business. And I, when I look at your profile on LinkedIn, you've been in the industry for some time, you've been an advisor, you've been a contributor, you contribute a lot on many other different platforms, like, like digital coins and many other areas, but why specifically create a studio? It's a good question. Uh, I think there's two main reasons. First and foremost, we're backed by one of the largest ventures uh, firms called Eater Investments. Mm-hmm. So that gives us this interesting seat at the table where they're seeing the industry and then knowing there's problems to, to kind of fill the void and you know build solutions around. And there's so many problems that we didn't want to just anchor to one because like okay. I said, it's a new industry. And yep. if you start to throw a dart at the board, the board's going to move on you in a few months because of regulation, because of different things that you can't control. There's just a lot going on. Um, So that ability to anchor to this wider breadth of opportunity and then utilizing the kind of the, I guess, the behaviors and the market uh, environment that we're able to see from the investment side is giving us that agility that, you know, lends itself to a venture studio. That's number one. Secondly, we actually had two assets already being built. Okay. And then when you think about that, if you want to stay lean, we kind of needed to assemble one team, which is Nucleus, to support multiple assets. And there's no real elegant way to do that, right? Because mm-hmm. a startup is supposed to focus. But if one person is going to be managing multiple assets, we kind of had to start off with some sort of gymnastics like an incubator, an accelerator, or a venture studio to kind of justify the fact that we're going to be moving quickly and launching multiple assets at once. So that's the short version of the many ideas that we had to explore this. And that's really what it came down to. Very interesting. But why psychedelics specifically? Yeah. So the, so Eater Investments is solely focused on investing in psychedelics. And that obviously started as drug development and finding novel compounds that will bring you know, this to the masses through clinical trials and, you know, all of that. And because we were then built out of that firm, 
we wanted to focus on, you know, it started off admittedly mental health, right? I mean, that's okay. why we're doing what we're doing, but it became very clear that psychedelics is happening. It is imminent and we needed to build the industry and kind of the, you know, the, the spokes, so to speak on um, making sure there's a landscape to fill in that breaking of the stigma, the evidence-backed data, and just platforms that allowed this to accelerate to the degree that we know the compounds should and will. Uh, so it was just a, an opportunity, even though we still call it pretty early and timing is everything, we yep. want to be first to market, we want to survive, and we want to be able to kind of shepherd this industry forward on the tech side. And, and you spoke about the data, one of the platforms which you have created, the data where all the clinical trials and specifically the data which you've been collecting. Now, specifically when it comes to psychedelics, yes, there is a moment where you experience, you know, there is a moment where you go into a space, I would use that word, where you experience different things. Now, how do you collect data for that? Is there a specific technology which you're using or is it yeah. experience data collection? How does that data collection happen? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, there's a lot that I don't want to have to say because of proprietary okay. purposes, but I will say there's multiple components to it. First and foremost, you have to have passion and interest in this industry to be able to say, what are the parameters and what should we keep our eye on? So really that becomes the, the scope mechanism of how our database actually works. We have technology that allows us to plant seeds, so to speak. It's kind of a good pun, sure. plant seeds. Uh, so that we keep our eyes on certain things that happen, whether that's a company that's operating in the space, people that are doing interesting things, or like you said, clinical trials and patents and things that are going to be filed. So we have sources that we keep our eyes on through the technology. And then secondly, it's a lot of automation. So what our database does is goes to fetch a lot of the changes, mm -hmm. and then we get that automatically. And that's all built through the technology itself. And the third piece is just to make sure it's not garbage because garbage in means garbage out. Yep. And we need to do a lot of human curation to ensure that what we're ingesting is going to benefit not only the system and the ways that people are going to be interacting with that data at scale, but also the people itself that are going to be using that and exploring that data. And then furthermore, you know, the technology itself can, we're working more on this, by the way, which is machine learning on if we're getting this sort of signal and this sort of data how can that be used to different uh, use cases? So we build mm -hmm. like custom dashboards, for example, sentiment trackers. We keep our eyes on obviously like organizations and what they do and what their stocks are doing if they're public. But all of that stuff is just a lot of variables that the technology, and this is where the proprietary comes in, has to be very widely built. So a lot of breadth, a lot of latitude to capture that, ingest it, and make sure it's going to the right place. Because we, this is something we could talk about all the time. What is a psychedelic? Where do you draw the line on what is not? Yep. And then like, are we going to do cannabis? That's a plant medicine. Are we doing can? Are we doing plant medicines? And then longevity and then conditions. There's so many ways like X, Y axis, different things are going to be X, different things are going to be Y, depending on how you look at data. And we're trying to be smart about how we're approaching those, uh, you know, monitoring systems that can bring that data to us. You you really called out what is psychedelic and what isn't, right? And you use the word and you took one of the ones, one of the strands, which is cannabis, right? And there is so much of 
misconceptions today uh, you know i call it medicine somebody may call it drug right and there is sure. a fine line between medicines and drugs uh, so how do you balance that and how do because you also have a a communication engine which you have created a marketing engine which you have created because mm-hmm. with drugs it, there's a lot of stigma with medicine there mm-hmm. isn't so how do you create that balance and how do you ensure that what your company does doesn't cross that line of being a drug right or purporting a drug yeah i mean i want to be clear again that um we don't do anything other than educate uh mm-hmm. when it comes to using words like drugs or medicines oftentimes the clinical or scientific way to refer to these things is obviously medicines a safe word but uh, compounds and actually just using scientific terms that kind of protect the street use and what's mm-hmm. very illegal um and we're very much of the corporate mindset of we're working with organizations that are doing this correctly they have the proper means to actually do the research push things through clinical trials legally and efficiently and just by all of the proper mechanics of doing that right and and therefore there's no real uh padding you, we can't really shy away from that we'd never say the word drug and mm-hmm. anything that we report on if we're writing articles we don't even go the cultural route meaning like yes you could go to ret- an ayahuasca retreat in south america and it's legal there or the netherlands yes. and it's re- legal there but we try to do our best to not even spotlight those things because if you're interested in them you'll have resources to find them and yes we may even have some of those resources but when it comes to educating people they just need to know how much work is being put into doing the right thing and how you know um efficient the systems are going to be when this gets pushed through so that we can all experience the benefit um and that's really what we try to shine a light on mm-hmm. so i don't know if i'm answering the question but we certainly we are very cognizant of not going in the direction of saying the wrong thing and we try to take the very professional approach of just reporting on everything that's through the lens of this is safe this is done legally and this is just data that people need to know so that they could see how efficacious this is yeah there are a lot of synthetic medicines also now coming up in the name of the psychedelic medicines uh and some are good and some can be harmful as well depending upon how the compounds were constructed uh what's your point of view and i don't want to name them because then people would want to start finding them right just in the the air of caution here but uh, you know what's your perspective of the synthetic types which are coming in now yeah so i'm glad you're asking me some some of these types of questions because i try to be very direct by saying i'm not an expert and i almost try to pass on a lot of the scientific sure. questions mostly because we have an advisory board that does that and also i don't claim to be somebody that knows this stuff and it would be very um you know fake of me to sure. pretend like i know what's going to be the solution in the future i think no matter what my sentiment is we need a lot of experimentation we need a lot of capital i mentioned this earlier to allow for the clinical trials to play out short term data long term data hallucinogenic versus non all these other compounds can be put into containers and this is where the data comes into play i just want to be the guy that builds the infrastructure observes the input output and is able to then make mathematical decisions and build a landscape 
to make this more useful for everybody. Um, and therefore I don't claim to be an expert. So apologies for not answering directly, but we have very smart people on our team that love to get into that stuff. No, no, no. And you know, and it will be hard for you to not share your point of view as well, right? Being a founder of the company and running these multiple platforms, uh, like me who are naive, they may ask you this question. So uh, that's a great answer of what you just gave me as well, right? That, and saying it upfront. So as a founder running a company, which was focused on that domain, how difficult it is, or what, do, what is your perspective towards other entrepreneurs, right? Like you're saying, okay, I run a company in this domain, but I'm not an expert. Many people claim they are expert in the domains they run, but they may not mm -hmm. be. So what's your feedback for those entrepreneurs? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the curiosity and the hunger to learn something that you don't know about, I think is more valuable than someone that claims to already have been an expert because then they have this bias, they have this lack of um, vulnerability to accept that this isn't a hard truth. And mm -hmm. I'm of the firm understanding and belief that there's multiple truths about everything. So I think we're at an advantage for me to have an unbiased look at, let's just build a great business in a space that yes, people know, trust me, I'm more knowledgeable about the space than many, many people. I just don't wanna go down the rabbit hole of trying to talk about the intricacies. Um, but I've learned so much because it's been about a year and a half since we launched Nucleus and just being in the trenches of this, I see data every day. I'm going to learn it a lot. So I guess it's a little bit of equal parts. I'm constantly curious and passionate about the outcomes that this is going to have. So because of the benefit of the medicines themselves, that's where my passion is. And therefore I care and I want to learn, but for me to just spew out, I'm an expert, you need to listen to me. When there's still unproven data, it's still a work in progress. And those that claim to be experts aren't actually building. I want to focus on the building mm -hmm. and being of value in the long term, which by the way, the trajectory of learning will very much be in line with the trajectory of the industry. And then people are going to come in in droves and want to learn anyway. And I don't want to be the one that says, learn from me. I want our data and our platforms and our tools to be the thing that teaches people. So again, maybe that's a roundabout way to answer, but uh, I don't want to be the one to do the talking. No, uh, no. And you are the guest today. So you will be talking, don't worry. Uh, but <laughs> uh, the point uh, here is as well, and I think you made a great point about claiming to being an expert and then not having an opportunity to learn is such an amazing, profound thought. Uh, and what you are on is such a naive, recent and upcoming industry where there's so much of discovery happening every day. There are newer compounds, new medicines like being discovered. Mm -hmm. uh, they're just not plant-based. They are different materials as well, right? They can be synthetic Absolutely. or being derived out of an, an animal. Uh, like the frog one, which I've heard of, I'll not claim it and name it here. Uh, but the, there are so many naive, uh, not naive, but net new medicines being ventured in and people are experimenting with them and they are kind of using that to make it as part of the religious ceremony, which was my second point. Now, when you think about these plant medicines in the in the traditional way, whether you look at the Amazonian way or the way they, it happens in Latin America and other parts, it's very, it is very done in a spiritual way, right? Mm -hmm. It's not done in a recreational way or it's not done, hey, let's 
let's smoke something right or let's in mm-hmm. let's ingest something so when you think about scaling of this where does spirituality practices and administrating plant medicines really play up right when you're thinking about scaling this up i think it's important i think we need to honor what's come before us and the history and all the spiritual practices i think a, there's a segment of the industry that does a really good job at mm-hmm. honoring that and making a place for it and bringing that into the conversation I even know companies and you know venture funds that are bringing those into the decision-making process as being a part of the board. And that's an amazing thing to see because you want equal footing and you, again, you want to pay homage and respect to where this came from. That said, I think it's the same thing I just said where it's multiple truths. Yeah. I think religious and spirituality has its place and that's different and regulation needs to take care of that, meaning there's exceptions and they're able to do what they need to do because that's good for them. It's good for the world. It's good for the medicines. I mean, there's no wrong about continuing to do what's worked for so many years. Mm-hmm. But what's also true is it's dangerous and people do it illegally and unsupervised. Yep. And that's not allowed. And if you try to overlap those things in a Venn diagram, it gets scary. So you just need to be able to regulate and understand how each of these pieces of the pie uh, I guess, get supervised and managed. And then you have the really the clinical side, which is really what we're focused mostly on, which is it goes through all the regulatory piping, uh, gets passed as medicines that then are you know facilitated, supervised, and delivered under a very you know tight microscope. And that's the future of mental health is if we could deliver these at scale, and there's ubiquity to the access that people have to medicines that we know work, and the data is proving that, then that's also a sliver of that pie that we cannot count out, but they're all different. And hopefully that makes sense is that if this is where it needs to be, this is the industry, this is the medicines themselves, there's so many different uses, but never should unsupervised, uh, irresponsible street use be considered beneficial or have anything to do with what we're doing as a company. Yeah. And unfortunately that's what is happening with most of the cannabis also, right? Like the it's that's why it's getting so much of stigma. If you go deeper into it, it has so much of benefits, mental and health benefits. Uh, but the way it's getting to that extreme point about being consumed in a different way, uh, mm-hmm. not in a clinical way or in a health way, but it's being consumed in a very drastic way, which is basically creating a lot of negative emotions, sentiments, and stigma around it. Uh, For sure. And it's not just in US, but globally as well, right? So and mm-hmm. I think that needs to be communication around it. And goes back to my second uh, part, which is your marketing team or the marketing division, which you have, or the platform which you have on the marketing and uh, sharing the knowledge. Uh, do you get a lot of consumer and bodies coming back to you, hey, this is wrong, you're promoting something wrong. Uh, you know, do you get a lot of pushback on those areas or your company does? You know what? I've never been asked that. And I think now that I think about it, the answer is no. We get a lot of interesting inquiries like, okay, where can I grow this? And a lot of like legal questions. Mm-hmm. And we want to be a source of knowledge where we could point to the data, right? Um, but I don't think we ever get like, a, you need to stop this. These are bad for people. What we have to report on and see when the data hits our database 
are all the horror stories, you know, people dying from overdoses. And this is where I say it's dangerous when done irresponsibly unsupervised and without a facilitator, because this is the importance of what we're building containers of education so that people can get licensed to be therapists and facilitators. And we're seeing this in Oregon right now in the United States with psilocybin. And it's, it's really laborious. It has yep. to go through regulatory phases. And then even to just educate, then you have to make sure you have enough facilitators that are licensed. Then you have to make sure the facilities are well-oiled machines that have the right uh, infrastructure. You know, infrastructure, tools, technologies. And yeah, so the negative side, I think the news does enough of that. We don't get the everyday consumer coming, at least to our properties, saying this is terrible for the world. Because I think the industry is so positive about the other, you know, the segments, right? Mm -hmm. If we avoid the dangerous segment and we don't yep. touch that because that is just something that exists, then there's just so much positivity and opportunity because uh, they're looking at it in the way that we're looking at it, right? Yep. No, and when I look at your profile, you know, this this piece or this area never showed up, right? In your, at least that's what your LinkedIn says. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how, how did you land up that this idea came up and start this? I think I was lucky that I get to do this to help as many people as possible. And when you build, so I'm a serial entrepreneur, I've been doing marketing and technology for about 20 years. Mm -hmm. So my short, you know, kind of synopsis is I've built some startups and I've sold them and I've advised and invested and I still have built. So I'm a programmer too. Uh, so I've built many startups and technologies that have sort of paved a way to okay. health tech. Uh, and I guess the most exemplary versions of that would be I built a Medicare technology and mm -hmm. an HR platform that kind of took on a life of its own that included like insurance benefits and cultural stuff for uh, employee management. And then cultural stuff kept popping up as that grew. And it always went back to, well, how do you take care of people Mm -hmm. As a leader of a company, you take care of people, not the employees. And this is all sort of paved the way for my interest in myself and as a coach and a guide and advisor, um, just new people that were interested in the psychedelic space. Again, I didn't have to be a user of the substances. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to help people. And my ability to market and build technology positioned me perfectly with this fund that was investing in psychedelics. And the opportunity was very serendipitous that they needed somebody like to drive a data platform and a, an informational site. And that's basically what my history is. So although you don't see anything about psychedelics, cannabis, mental health down the way, I don't think it's uh, far fetched for somebody that cares about people that looks at data and has built technology to be building something like nucleus. Cause that's what more of what we're about is just, building an infrastructure that matters and that will help people because we care. And that goes back to like a leader doing whatever they think is going to make the most impact. So I don't call myself a social entrepreneur, but um, at my point in my career, after all these years, I don't think I'd be able to wake up excited if I wasn't saving lives and doing something of meaning. And that's what it really boils down to. So in your journey, and it's, I know it is a pretty young journey with Nucleus, and you're still building it up. 
has there been any pivotal moments which has reaffirmed that this is why I'm doing what I'm doing today? It's a great question. I think every day, because our properties get so much traffic and you know, curious people that are Googling and finding what we're building or our pieces of data, the feedback that is always positive, whether that's I've gone through my own journey, uh, I could use very scary words mm-hmm. of what people were going through, but people go through a lot, right? Yep. And to hear those success stories and for them to be transparent enough to share that so that we can kind of celebrate alongside them. And then it confirms why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, certainly we don't um, exploit that information that's confidential in the fact that this is what I mean, like a shared experience as we're building community. There's mm-hmm. a lot of positivity around where we're going with this. And therefore that's why I get up in the morning excited. And I love to hear things like that. It balances alongside the media's attention to like another death, another overdose. And we need that to cut through. And yeah, the data and all the other clinical trials showing and proving to be efficacious is just another reason to say that the trains left the station and this is inevitable and we need to keep pressing forward. Because right now in this moment, we're about to be in April of 2023, this market is very difficult. No Mm -hmm. capital circulating through psychedelics. A lot of companies are trying to figure out how they're gonna survive. And, but if you're doing it for the right reasons, you'll find a way to survive so that you can help as many people when that opportunity comes. And it's happening now, don't get me wrong. We do that through ketamine, uh, retreats still exist. There are resources for people to help in the confines that are legal in the ways that we've built. Yep. Um, but the you know medicinal and clinical use as we're seeing in Oregon and, and then what we're gonna see with MDMA, that hasn't even happened yet. And that's what's exciting is the future shift, uh, certainly a paradigm shift to where this becomes the norm and we get rid of medicines that aren't as efficacious, right? That's the yep. goal. And when I look at your career, Logan, you've had an illustrious career where you've built variety of startups, you've sold them, you advise startups. And being a tech entrepreneur, right, you've seen some patterns and those patterns have emerged and help you be where you are. You know, when you have to look back, you know, Steve Jobs' famous quote, when you plan forward, nothing happens. But when you look back, everything connects. Now, mm-hmm. where you are today, and I'm sure there are many more things to come in the future as part of your platform, which you have created right now. You know, what is that one or two things which kind of connect back and saying, you know, that's how I started. And, you know, today, when I look back, it it's helped me got where I am today. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I say this to new hires, and it's actually one of my questions to make sure we're building the right team, no matter what company it is that I'm building, is that it kind of comes in three layers, mm-hmm. uh, and they're characteristics of people. And I think when I look back at success, it's the same characteristics that I've held on to that mm-hmm. now I look for because I have proven that it's worked in the past, and that's patience. Mm-hmm. Right now, what I just said about timing and that the industry is in danger People don't have patience to sit through this. They want to go build an AI tool that's going to make them short-term money because they don't want to wait two years for clinical trials to pass through. And I get that. But patience is so important. 
because there's micro patients and then there's macro. What I'm talking about is macro. That's a whole other side of you're really tapping into your ability to, you know, be still and know what that inevitability looks like. But micro patients is not even getting through the day because you can't start something without seeing a finish line and being able to put things down to say, I'll work on it next, the next day or the next mm-hmm. week or the next one. That's where proper planning comes. And I think patience so that you're not stressed over those things is what's going to allow companies to um, build long-term success. So that's one. Second, curiosity. I already mentioned that I'm learning so much because I care to help people. And by means of helping people, I need to know about the industry and know what to build. And there's just like insatiability. And my mm-hmm. team knows this because we have a book club. I go through about 150 books a month. Wow. Some of it's, you know, obviously cheating where I kind of scan, but I'm just constantly trying to pick at topics so that then I can share that knowledge and figure out how we can utilize different ways to look at life. And that's differing opinions that I try to read, different sides of the political aisles that I'm trying to like get arguments about. And it's just really important to just be a whole sponge, you know, Mm -hmm. not taking in biases and trying to constantly be looking for information. So curiosity is huge. And then third, very underlooked and underappreciated is resourcefulness. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be able to say, I need to get this done, but then not know the steps or the to build the sort of um, stepping stone in sequence to be able to get to the finish line. It's all there. We all have the capability because of technology, because of the internet, especially because of AI now. Don't get me started with that. But like the ability to wake up and say, I have the tools to do the things. I just need to think about it and be resourceful, not say this is too hard or I don't understand because I I don't understand answer just means you don't know how to search for answers. That's how I interpret that. Mm -hmm. And I think when I look back at my journey, there were so many walls I could have hit where I said, this is too hard. I never built a company before. I started my first company in college. I could have easily said, wow, I don't even know what uh, corporate insurance is or how to keep books or what do I do filing a tax return? How does this work? But you push through because you're resourceful. You want to learn it to get better. And I just think too many people give up too soon. So those things I think have led me on my journey. And like I said, I look for those in people and to connect them all. It's just been about knowing what I'm good at. Mm -hmm. And then wanting to embody that goodness as I learn more so that I can hire people that embody core values that could take us to the next level. And that's probably my claim to fame is building a good culture uh, with people that align on values and vision so that we can do good things. Even the most boring of businesses and boring businesses can be really exciting Yes, when, when you put the right uh, mechanisms in place like charitable mm-hmm. funds and processes to build community and like I said we have a book club like things like that to build rapport and I, I mean I could go on for days about like cultural stuff but that's what it gets me excited too and I think it all connects whether it was a 500 person company or a small like micro agency that I flipped and whatever the the situation was I had fun doing it and I made sure that there were good people that cared uh, working with me. And that's really what it comes down to. What was the first company you started in your college? 
Uh, it's called Endigon. It's a, just a marketing agency. We we're content based. This was the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started in the entertainment industry. Before I knew it, that industry, like music specifically, Napster took over. Uh, but the internet started happening. So we got really good at MySpace and we started working with a lot of artists and record labels. And then we were so good at that that we got big corporations saying, why can't you do that for everybody? Disney, Coca-Cola. And then the rest was history. Before I graduated, I sort of woke up one semester and I was like, how did this happen? I have a downtown office with over 40 employees, big contracts. I'm never going to have to work for the man, you know, quote unquote. Yeah. Uh, So I was just very lucky. I don't think about anything other than resourcefulness, curiosity and luck. Luck was very much in my favor uh, being so young and just being at the right place at the right time. Yeah. There's a famous book. I'm sure you've read through 150 books. There's a book called Unfair Advantage. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've read that. Uh, and it's all about how do you identify your luck when you don't have one or you think you don't have one. Mm. Uh, and uh, that's that's the premise. And that's my summary of that book. Uh, if people are interested, they should definitely go ahead and read that book. Uh, but, you know, as you look at your career evolving in the last two decades and uh, the place which you are at, and you spoke about building culture, one of the key aspects your company is also focusing on is mental health. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a big topic. And that's, I don't see your company focusing on psychedelic medicines. It's more about well-being of humans. and more Good, on- thank you. Yes, that's the intention. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so I hope I got it right uh, because that's, yes. what, uh, that's what I wanted to get out, that it's not about psychedelic medicines. It's about the mental health and how that's a median. That's not the end. Right. And mental health and improving mm. mental health is the end, right? Which you are mm-hmm. focused on. Now, how do you measure success? Is it number of people you've been able to help? You know, what's that success looks like for you? Yeah. So first and foremost, it's uh, not like any other business. It's not like we started these startups thinking, all right, here's the cost of goods sold. Here's what the price of the thing that we're selling is going to be we have to look at this very differently. And in that Mm -hmm. way, this is where patience pays off. You have to look at it on a timeline as well. So I mentioned that we have three main businesses, but we're also building a lot of other side businesses or side tools and um, just things that we think will propel us forward when the time is right. Uh, And in that way, we have very different goals, long-term versus short-term. Of course, market conditions lend itself to well, how do we survive? We have to make money somehow. We have to lower costs somehow. And we've done a great job in 2023 uh, getting very close to break even uh, at this point nice. because we've reduced costs and then we found a way to drive uh, you know, patients to our clinic partners. And that's been a massive opportunity. It's almost like an open ocean of, well, if you need more people because you're not at capacity and more people need help, this is our short-term goal now, which is get more people help through ketamine, make our clinic partners grow, and we will benefit from revenue. And that mm. break-even goal has become sort of our Q1 focus. We're about mm-hmm. to end Q1, so now when I look at long-term, my vision, my goal was always to help as many people as possible. We had early vision documents that said, you know, save a million lives, as ambitious as that is. That's more of like the Simon Sinek you know, insatiable just cause, right? You're never mm-hmm. going to reach that, but you need something to shoot for. 
Yes. Um, and that's really what it's about. We could save lives. We could help people improve lives, whatever verb you want to put in there. That's what it's about long term because it's insatiable and we'll always be able to wake up every day wanting to do that. But because we're running a business, it's really about me meeting our short term goals right now. And we're doing a great job on the marketing side specifically. You spoke about your own teams and when you're hiring the focus on patients and, you know, the macro environments and the macro trends and all of that, you know, you can imbibe that. But when you work with an investor community, I, I hope you know where I'm getting at. The patients levels are less, right? Mm, yeah. Uh, they need their returns, right? They have a horizon of three, five, seven, depending upon what they're investing and how long they're investing. How sure. do you balance that with your external stakeholders, especially the investor community, to demonstrate that same culture inside to external aspect? Yeah, I think there's a prerequisite to investing in psychedelics where you sort of know that it's going to take time. And therefore, those that invested responsibly give you that grace. <laughs> uh, you do have some of the short-term, um, very, you know, rigid or direct investors that obviously push us toward break even. Mm -hmm. We're kind of balancing between the two, knowing that this is a very um, questionable um, time right now for psychedelics as a whole. Because if the biggest companies that are trying to push medicines through can't survive because they don't have enough money, mm -hmm. then that's a problem. And where does that cycle start? It's because investors don't feel confident about a return. So we're starting to see that play out. Um, but there's this whole segment of the ketamine market that's operating, generating revenue. And that's why we're starting to tack ourselves to that, because mm -hmm. we can appease the short term investors that have that mindset by saying, look at the business we're building. And this is also going back to your first question of why we built the venture studio, we can be diversified in a way where our short-term revenue generating asset does its thing to make our nucleus pie more valuable. Meanwhile, we're building things for the future and you get the best of both worlds. That's kind of like our investor pitch is don't expose yourself to just one drug development company if you're interested in psychedelics because who knows what's going to happen. Build the foundation and the ancillary services through nucleus with us and then you'll have a little bit more diversified exposure. Hmm. Do you advise founders, you know, when they're tabling these newer areas, right? You've got mental health, but you're trying to solve mental health with a very different medium. And there are many others who are trying to do it with a different medium. You know, is Venture Studio a great format to have within the portfolio to really drive that? Uh, I would probably say no. If we weren't founded by Eater Investments, which is a venture fund, mm -hmm. I would say it was it would be counterproductive. Okay. Uh, mostly because if you're just a single founder building multiple assets and you don't have financial backing in the way that we do, you're just going to be laughed at as why aren't you focusing? You need to focus. You're only one person with one brain and you need to solve one problem. Uh, and in a lot of ways that eats away at me because on a perfect trajectory, when we first started, we would have gotten a lot more capital from other firms and we would have moved a lot quicker. The industry as a whole hasn't played out that way. So we've had to bootstrap and pull back and be patient for what's to come in the future. Um, and I don't think a lot of people would have been able to maintain 
the sort of, I'm going to get through this mindset if they're on their own building multiple assets. It's hard enough to build one business. Man, it's been a grueling process to juggle multiple for sure. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, I, I really not only empathize, but I also envy you that, you know, you get up in the morning and you don't have one problem to solve. You're probably juggling 100 balls a day and you're trying to say, okay, if I drop this, then this thing drops, right? Or if I mm. prioritize this, then something else gets deprioritized, you know, and there's always that FOMO mindset. So as a founder of who's running a multiple platform company, how do you keep your mental well-being in check? Mm, great question. I love it because it's always changing, but it's something that's always top of mind intentionally. I always work on myself. That is like my favorite project because mm -hmm. that makes me a better father, a better husband, a better person. And when you can be a whole person for those around you, you become a better leader and then your team is empowered. So I do a lot of things, if I'm being honest. Uh, one thing that's worked really well for me, I call them thought walks. So my okay. morning routine is to just do a very thoughtful meditation because meditation isn't just sitting there going, hmm, meditation comes in deep thought in many different formats. So yes, I have a book going in my ears, but it's mostly about the thought and moving my body. And it's about the you know, protons or photons I can get from the sun, right? So mm -hmm. the sunlight in the morning, fresh air, take being mindful of my breath and just moving my body uh, has just worked really well for me. Um, and I think that's probably my main point because I do all the other things that most people should do. I, I've learned over my entrepreneurial career that sleep is important. Mm -hmm. So you might hear it a lot. I didn't obey that when I was younger. Now my body is telling me I have to because you lose something when you don't get enough sleep. Yep. So I've been very good about that and also keeping boundary between work and personal lives. I have three kids. So, nice. you know, we, we've balanced the no laptop on the couch rule, uh, no phone when you're with the kids. So all these things really end up playing a pivotal role in how I take care of myself. And I can genuinely say, I mean, it sounds sort of like, uh, I don't know what the word would be, but like uh, manufactured maybe that I say I'm the happiest and most fulfilled I've ever been in my life. And maybe that's because of the work that I'm doing here with Nucleus. But I tend to believe it's because of the self awareness and the process of working on the self and constantly trying to learn and be better uh, because when you have that going, everything else tends to fall in place. Hmm. You know, when you th think back and, you know, if you, if I have to put you in a time machine, Logan, and push you back in 2000, uh, would you start this company sooner or this is the right time to do it? <laughs> I definitely wouldn't start it sooner. And I've actually been on another podcast talking about the industry saying a good idea at the wrong time is the bad idea because hmm. right now this might be still the wrong time. We're still so new. Yeah. And I already mentioned this early, we're, earlier, we're getting a lot of consolidations with a lot of the companies in this space. And of course, when you're building a company and you have nowhere to turn to it, you know, for investment dollars, you start to question yourself. Yes. And a lot of the founders are in that dangerous territory right now. And then what rises to the top? 
well, this wasn't going to happen yet. Mm -hmm. And because of the grueling process and the years that it takes to make this a ubiquitous reality, I sometimes worry that we're too early. Mm. So, so take that for what it is. Um, we're here to survive and still operate now. And like I said, we're generating revenue and running a real business and a value-based, vision-based business of the future. And that balance allows us to know where we're going. But a lot of companies don't have that luxury because they either don't have revenue now or they're uncertain of the future. We know this is going to happen, um, but I do always think that we're in this like perfect time period of being aware that we're too early, but at least capitalizing on, you know, the opportunities that do exist. Yeah, meaning, uh, you know, psychedelics are right now that in the pivotal moment when the internet came out, uh, you know, people were, mm. there were a lot of naysayers. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to link it or compare it, but it's almost that same space, right? There sure. are, there's so much of exploration happening while everybody's focused on AI definitely and you know uh, you also spoke about well that. blockchain is very much the same i always think about that journey you know like the bitcoin paper 2009 people don't really realize how long it's been and it's still been a grueling process yeah. and the technology is so sound but it's still getting better and there's not a lot of use cases so i always frame the internet now similarly because you could look at web one web two web three yep. we don't want to get it unless you want to we don't need to get into this conversation but to see where it's going and the promise of blockchain is very similar to other industries where you could just say we're too early people don't get it there's not enough use cases there's not a user experience where the average person can say i get this and this is really exciting and yeah they're all similar in that way right no and i want to get into that space because there's something which is linked to the previous conversation which we just had is the mental health it's mm -hmm. also the mental space you know while you're running nucleus you are also an advisor contributor in multiple platforms and one of them is a mm. digital coin space so how do you yeah. create mental space in multiple areas right you are dabbling into blockchain you are a contributor in many different platforms in that space so how do you create mental space for you to think strategize, contribute, lead, drive, hmm. all of that? I think it's all the same. So what I'd want to make sure is true for those looking from the outside in is that your, if your intentions are pure and you have the um, desire to help people, you're going to do that through the resources that you're provided. It just so happens that I've been a contributor to a blockchain project for a while now Mm -hmm. that has taken on a life of its own. So it's almost this like magic um, outlet for me, or mm -hmm. whether that's at the end of the, the day, like at night when I'm not supposed to be on my phone, for example, before bed, I get to check in and like empower a developer to build something on the protocol. And it, it's giving me energy back because I'm helping people. And I mm -hmm. know in the same way that I feel psychedelics is going to change the world, I know that what we're doing is going to change the world. Maybe it's too early. Sure, that's a different conversation, but it's just about energy and energy out, and it's all the same. Psychedelics help, will help people. Blockchain protocols will help people. It'll change the world. And I don't say that to be fantastical. I mean that genuinely. Mm -hmm. Decentralization and psychedelics, well, they're also overlapped, and they're the same thing. We're just talking about different means to make life better. Yep. Uh, 
And therefore, I mean, we've even right now, this isn't a secret, have protocols on the shelf through Nucleus because we think the future is a more efficient healthcare system, uh, more efficient ways to store data. We mm-hmm. even initially had the vision to have a on-chain mental health record. We still have projects that work on that. But talk about too early. When you mash two industries that are too early together, it just doesn't make sense to people. Like, why are you even doing this? So they're all related. And I get energy from it because it's important, if that and, makes sense. And especially in the psychedelic space, combining it with the blockchain principles and blockchain technologies because you want to build that system of truth and not rely on yes, one exactly. chain. Because like we were discussing earlier, there's so much of fake or mislabeled products or synthetics coming out, which may look like the original, but they are not. They're actually sure. synthesized, right? You need blockchain to really confirm the authenticity and the origin uh, of that particular product uh, or the compound so that it helps the user have confidence in it, right? Uh, like you spoke, there have been so many deaths of overdose or not proper dose, you know, it's not overdose, but not a proper dose, I would call it, right? So mm-hmm. how do you ensure that authenticity and giving confidence that what I'm consuming is right and it's come from the respectable source and right source? You would need blockchain in that. And uh, definitely that's those are the two right emergence or convergence mm-hmm. of the two industries coming together. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of overlap in the excitement of these industries in that people have come up with NFT collections to benefit people getting treatment through psychedelic medicines. Uh, I think fundraising is an interesting opportunity. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you look at ways that you can issue NFTs and build community. I mean, obviously I am biased on this too, but as you said, decentralization is the future and a decentralized world that allows people to get the mental health treatments they need on their terms and they own their data. That's part of our vision. Yep. Logan, I know I've taken a lot of your time. This has been an amazing conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot more Likewise. than enjoy. <laughs> uh, it doesn't feel like we've been able to spend so much time, but you know, I would love to go on. Uh, hopefully when <laughs> I meet you in person in Miami, we'll definitely chit chat over a coffee. Well, sounds great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, it's been wonderful to have you on the show. I hope the Thank listeners will be gaining me. a lot of information and knowledge about this new area uh, and probably get more knowledgeable rather than think it yeah. being a stigma. That would be wonderful. That's the goal. All right. You have a good day and uh, thank you for being here. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you for the conversation and interesting questions and thoughts. Appreciate it very much. Mm-hmm.